The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. friends, welcome back to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris. Thanks for being here. Later on, I have Roto Pat because he came to Stanford, Connecticut just to hang out with me. Aren't you jealous? We'll be talking running backs and wide receivers, really the summer rankings that Roto World offers in their draft guide, season pass, preseason rankings, really breaking them into clusters. So 1 through 10, 11 through 20, just storylines and questions that we have for those players. So be sure to stay tuned to that. Again, there's a running back one and a wide receiver one to fill out this podcast. I also want to say, if you enjoy this for any moment, tell a friend, one friend, double our audience for us, please. I also have Raymond Summerlin here because Ray, it is full on training camp season, the highs of training camp, the lows of training camp. I do wonder what normal people who don't always have Twitter up on their computers yeah, I don't believe that watching tweet after tweet of beat writers doing play-by-play <laughs> of training camp practices is the healthiest thing for us to be doing. I, In fact, I, okay. I'm i pretty sure that it's not, but I mean, it's what we're doing. And so since we're seeing every good throw that, I don't know, name random. Brett Hunley. That Brett Hunley. I was trying to think of uh, who's a, a, a Minshew. What's his first name? Gardner Minshew. Minshew. Every good throw that Gardner Minshew makes, you know, if we're going to have to see it, or Tanner Lee, if we're going to have to see it, then, I mean, we might as well talk about it, right? Yes, yes. Ray, let's hit on some big news because that's really the important part of this. And as we know, Hall of Fame game kicks off this Thursday night. Hopefully we have one. We didn't have one a few years ago. That was hilarious because I did a pre- preview podcast yeah, I remember that. with yeah, Evan yeah. for a game that never played. <laughs> There's still good information, though. There's lots of good information there. We'll actually do a preview podcast for this one. I should say that our August schedule is going to be Tuesdays and Thursdays up until the season starts. Then it's really Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, Ray, let's start here because this seems like ages ago. It was just a few days ago. Sterling Shepard will miss the entire preseason with, I believe, a broken thumb. Corey Coleman's career still will never get started because he will miss the entire season. And now Golden Tate is slated to miss four games uh, for what he says is really a fertility prescription that he was prescribed and realized that there was an ingredient in there that is a banned substance. He told himself he tested positive. He's appealing. But for now, Ray... Basically, the Giants have no wide receivers. Well, well, the good news is they still have Odell. Oh, oh, 
Uh, You're just rude. Uh, How rude <laughs> are you? Uh, and it's so bad, Ray, that Kelvin Benjamin turned down a workout with the New, <laughs> New York Giants. You hold on. He wasn't. He wasn't chomping at the bit to go play for Dave Gettleman again. Ray, does this just make you want to draft Evan Ingram even more? Yeah, I mean that's the deal. I actually don't know if Sterling Shepard is going to miss any time. There seems to be at least some optimism that he could be back for Week One. So we'll we'll yeah. see we'll see what happens there. I mean, you said it. Golden Tate is is appealing the suspension, but from everything we know about the rule, the fact that he didn't know it was in there really doesn't matter. And so I'm I'm doubtful he wins that. So it does seem like Tate will be gone. And like you said, this is, I mean, this is just great news for Evan Ingram, at least, you know, early in the season. You go back and look at his rookie season. That's not a great comparison because it came under a different coaching staff. But obviously, when whenever Odell was out then, he he really thrived. But even moving to last year, if you go late last year when they were having their receiver trouble, they showed a the Giants showed a willingness to use Ingram as a primary target in the passing game. He's healthy and he really closed the season strong. I don't actually think that this means I'm moving Ingram up in my season long right. rankings because I, I mean he's already being drafted as the tight end five. And I, I just am not going to go go any higher than that with him. But what it does mean is that early in the season, especially when Tate is out, if Shepard is out, he is going to be heavily utilized in DFS lineups because we know without those guys, I mean, basically it's Ingram and it's Saquon and, and that's it. And it helps one that Evan Ingram is a good football player, right? Yeah, that helps. Like he's, for sure. he's a very good football player. And two, right, the ADP that I'm looking at, which I'm looking at fan ball because that's where I've been doing all my best balls. He's the tight end six since this injury news and everything else has happened for the Giants. And but it's right around that same territory. Like we talk about all the time. You have Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, George Kittle, and some combinations, the top three. And they're going around pick 25. Uh, up to pick one, wherever you want to go. And then four through six is Hunter Henry, OJ Howard, and Evan Ingram. And that's that cluster because after that, Ray, there's about a 15-pick drop-off after Evan Ingram to like that Jared Cook, Eric Ebron territory. So like if you want to get Evan Ingram on your roster, if you really believe in him and miss out on the top three tight ends, it's very achievable. Like it's very easy to have Evan Ingram on your fancy roster this year. Yeah, but I like that's my point is that am I going to move him – that much higher would I still because Sterling Shepard might miss a game or two and Tate's going to miss four yeah. games. Like I, I still think I'd still rather OJ Howard. I'd still rather Hunter Henry. So from a season long perspective, it really doesn't move the needle that much for me. And I mean, for me, I was already reasonably high on Ingram because I expected him to get a lot of targets because they really do need right. the receiving help, even if Tate and Shepard are healthy. And so, I, I mean, it definitely solidifies him in that group, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to move him up a, a whole lot. You're not going to overextend. Long. Yeah, from a season-long perspective, I still kind of view him similarly as I did before all this news. It kind of makes Sterling Shepard a value, doesn't it? Because this, in some ways, Ray, might be considered comparable to like what George Kittle went through last preseason, where he missed the entire preseason basically with a separated shoulder and then was like the tight end 13 or 14 in drafts right now um sterling shepherd who was the odds on favorite to lead this team in receiving is going as wide receiver 41 that's after dd westbrook that's after Cortland sutton that's after marvin jones a number of other names just above like kiki cutie and marquez valdez scantling so again he's even easier to get as well yeah, you would assume that this news would make that go down i i have no sterling shepherd i have 
outside of Ingram and Saquon, I have no real desire to invest in this offense. And I think that I I don't think it was necessarily a given that Shepard would lead this offense. It might be a good bet, but I mean, Golden Tate's there would seem to be a very good fit for how they want to run their offense with either Eli Manning or Daniel Jones. Golden Tate fits very well with, with Manning's diminished skill set, whatever Jones is, is able to do. And so I, I was kind of a little bit higher on Tate before this. Now, obviously I'm, he's going to miss four games that's you know four of 13 in the fantasy regular season i would certainly be higher on shepherd now but like i i probably would just pass like you mentioned he's going ahead of marquise valdez scantling i would still rather have valdez scantling i just i want to chase that upside of the number two receiver in green bay rather than the maybe number one receiver in new york should we continue the bad news ray let's do it aj green out six to eight weeks with a major ankle sprain left ankle um sprains if you don't know are torn ligaments as well correct ray that is that is accurate yeah he's doubtful for week one most likely week two maybe as well um prior to this news ray he was going somewhere near wide receiver 13 and to me ray was an incredible value at that point uh now he's dropped all the way down to wide receiver 18 and will likely drop even further down from there ray this I mean, it's so freaking frustrating because AJ Green in like an ideal situation as a healthy wide receiver to me would make a case as a top five, top six player at his position in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I I just told Twitter to put some respect on AJ Green's name <laughs> like a week and a half ago. So this is on you. I, it's my fault. I yeah, I mean, we look at the injury. It seems likely he misses week one. We don't know more beyond that. And and to be honest, we don't know that for sure either. There have been other reports from Schefter that, uh, that weren't from Schefter and obviously Schefter is the goat. So we'll take what he says, but there have been other reports that it's only going to be a month. And if that's the case, then, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, but it does seem like that he's going to miss a few games and that obviously hurts. But to your point, I mean, when he's playing, he's still really good. And I know that that injury that injury concern has started to creep up. You know, he played 16 games, I believe two years ago in 2017, only played nine last year. I believe it was 10 in 2016. And so you start to get worried about those games missing, keep missing those games, keep having foot and ankle issues. That is certainly becoming a concern, but when he's on the field, he's still been a really good fantasy asset. He was the wide receiver eight in PPR per game scoring last year. If you take out that one game where he only played 17 uh, snaps. So He's been an elite fantasy producer when on the field. That matters to me a lot more than someone who happens to stay on the field for 16 games and is just has mm. middling production the whole time. I would rather have a player who is good when they're they can there. Win you weeks. That can win you weeks, who is good when you when they're there. And then if they're gone, you don't have to worry about the three spot they put up in that position. You can go find someone else to do it. So that's just a philosophy point. I'm still going to be drafting AJ Green. I'm going to probably enjoy the price he's at now. I'm not going to take... I'm not going to take like Kenny Galladay or Tyler Lockett or Chris Godwin or those kind of guys over over him. So if anything, this is going to be even better for AJ Green's price. And we just have to, you know, hope that this trend of foot and ankle injuries kind of goes by the wayside. And honestly, we have yet to see what this offense really is. So I'm excited to to figure that out in the next few weeks in the preseason as well. Pour one out. Theoretic has been cut. How sad. What weird timing, though, in some ways. Like I know some of the beat writers, including Chris Burke, had pointed this out that this might happen, but Ray, it happens like before cut down days and maybe it's a, a service to 
theoretic who they had used very much for years and years and years. Does this just open up even more opportunities for Carry On Johnson to probably to possibly hit that like feature back title across the league? Yeah, I, I really think it does. And I had been operating under the assumption that something like this would happen because all mm-hmm. of the beat writers, or or at least not all the beat writers, give them credit, Chris Burke and Dave Burkett, have said have said that they thought this was going to happen, that they think Carry On Johnson was going to become the third down back. And so I had kind of been operating under that assumption. So he's not going to move up too far in my rankings, but I do think at his current cost, his ADB kind of that late teens is where he normally comes off the board. That is, that is a really good spot for him. And also I think it's important to say that even if I was operating under assumption, I thought that was going to happen. This at least, you know, confirms it. This confirms that that is going, this, he is going to be the pass catching back for that team. It is not going to be CJ Anderson as much as I love CJ Anderson. (laughs) And that is, you know, that's a really huge thing for him because for sure, the lions project to be a below 500 team, probably at best. And so if you're a running back on that team and you want to continue to get consistent touches throughout every game, you have to be involved in the passing game. It looks like that's going to be carry on. And by the way, that makes sense because I mean, he was pretty good last year when he was targeted. He was seen as a three down type coming out of college. All of this makes sense. You're right. The timing's a little odd, but all it does is confirm for us what we thought was going to happen for carry on this year. And that's, you know, that type of certainty is certainly a a lot nicer than just having to guess. And Theoretic is kind of still one of those real specialized backs in the league. I mean, you look at his last few years of carries, it's 92 in 2016, 84 in 2017, just 40 last season in 2018. Compare that to his receptions, 53 in 2016, 53 in 2017, and then 61 last year. I mean, you rarely see, you know, almost an even split among carries and catches. Um, he's gone on some interesting visits too, Ray. Like he went to the Saints, who we kind of thought that they had their running back spot locked up with Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara. And then he also visited the Broncos, which we thought they had their running back spot locked up with Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay. He actually took a uh, physical with the Broncos, which would seem to suggest to me that there's a good chance that that's where, you know, that's where he ends up. And so we'll see what happens there. I mean, that would be terrible from a fantasy perspective. I, I awful. He's here to ruin fantasy backfields. Yeah, for I, us. I know. We're. All, I believe we were all hoping that it would be Lindsey and Royce Freeman, and you know neither of them were particularly good as receivers last year. And you know, friend of the podcast, Devonte Booker was was not much better. So, I you would you would say, well, hopefully, he's not this podcast favorite, Devonte. Yes, he Ray. is. That's yes. not true. Yeah, no, he he's not. Yes, he is. But the. <laughs> Yeah, so I was hoping, you know, I think all of us were hoping that Lindsay or Freeman or both would take a step forward in the passing game, something that should be a, a pretty big factor of this offense. Uh, their new offensive coordinator, Rich Scan, Scangrello, is that his name? Scangarello, Scangarello, that's what I'm going with. So he spent three of his last four seasons with Kyle Shanahan. So that kind of leads you to think, oh, the running backs are going to be involved in the passing game. Shanahan's offenses have finished 14th, 3rd, 7th, and 7th in running back receptions over the last four seasons. So they probably need a receiving back. If they don't think Lindsey Freeman or Booker can do the job, then this makes sense. But from a fantasy perspective, it's bad. All it is is a player that you're probably not going to be able to trust in your lineup, stealing touches from players that you otherwise would be willing to tr- able to trust in your lineup, and that's not great. Regardless of spelling, who is the least favorite Devontae for this podcast? Is it Devontae Parker? 
Oh, he's that. Yeah. I mean, just so, so many, so much sadness, you know, so much heartbreak. He has those and the highs and lows. It's a roller coaster yeah. career here for Devontae Parker in our relationship, I would say. Yeah, he goes and was that big game he had against, was it the Patriots he had that massive game against? And then came back and, and like and, goose egg the next week. And it was after goose egging weeks before as well. Like those are the types of players we just cannot stand. Uh let's go over to the Baltimore Ravens Ray. John Harbaugh, the head coach, as you all know, uh, when asked if Lamar Jackson would surpass cam newton's career high in a season of 139 carries he said yes i would take the over right i thought this was a big deal then i looked at lamar's stats and he already did this last year in seven starts so it was to the point where i didn't look immediately before tweeting or after tweeting so i was like oh yeah this is going to be huge for lamar right he's he's already done this yeah he had to your point he had 128 rushing attempts in the eight games, including the playoffs after taking over, which is a 256 care season carry pace. So saying he's going to get over 140 is not really, really going out on a Anything. limb. But I, I, do, I will say that they had talked a little bit, at, at least uh, the owner, Steve Biscotti, had talked at the Combine, I believe, about Biscotti, Biscotti about trying to we're really getting the names today about trying to you know limit his rushing a little bit and and maybe move away from that somewhat move into somewhat of a more conventional of offense obviously Greg Roman is there so that they're not going to be like not going to drop back and throw every every you know down or anything but to kind of move away from that scrambling so this is at least good to hear that they're not going to completely go away from that and obviously they can't i mean Lamar Jackson's biggest strength as it stands now, even if he improves as a passer from what we saw last year, his big, biggest strength is what he's able to do on the ground. And, and I do want to make a right. note here. There's there's a bit of a difference between Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. If you're looking at those two and what they mm-hmm. did on the ground in their, when, in their starts, and you look at Josh Allen, if you go back and kind of look at how those were charted, at least by Pro Football Focus, a lot of his, a lot of his, and this is what it looked like when you're just watching the games too. A lot of Josh Allen's runs were scrambles. They were him not finding anything and then having to run, and that that's a lot more fluky than what we saw from Lamar Jackson, where the vast majority of his runs were designed runs. We'll see if that continues. I, I expect it will, because again, that's the strength of his game. And so when I'm looking at these two players, I'm trying to decide: all right, what rushing production do I trust? I really trust Lamar Jackson's a lot more. And that's why when I when I look at where he's going in draft, which is what, like quarterback 18, 17? Yeah, 15 or 18. It just depends on where you're looking. Yeah, so somewhere in that late teens area, like that's that's exceptional value. He remains one of the best late round quarterback targets out there. And it's because of that rushing floor that you get from him that we're going to expect to continue this year. And if you are drafting two quarterbacks, like he's the ideal second quarterback. And in some ways, if you're just waiting, 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 he's your ideal first quarterback because a lot of the formula makes sense, Ray. Like one, he's cheap quarterback, 15 to 18, wherever Two, there was a stretch of last season where he was like the quarterback five for multiple games. Um, And then three, John Harbaugh, this team, has talked about that they want to produce an offense that the NFL hasn't seen or hasn't seen in quite some time. Again, that might just be coach speak here, but I think we can kind of buy it because, again, this is the first offseason that this offense will be designed during an offseason for the quarterback rather than just switching over from Joe Flacco, who's a complete 180 and a departure from the type of player Lamar Jackson is. Well, I mean – Joe Flacco looks good like a baby gazelle when he runs. So I would kind of 
Okay. Put, Excuse put me. Put the brakes on that a little bit. But yeah, I. It's kind of Benjamin buttoning, by the way, Joe Flacco. <laughs> with a beard? In some ways. Yeah. No, in terms of like he goes from, but I guess you can say this with a lot of quarterbacks that maybe didn't, you know, from an early high school age, weren't like the popular kids and then go to like the best school and all that kind of stuff and play quarterback. Like he is, he is evolving and blossoming. And I'm talking about his handsomeness here, right? That's what I'm yeah, talking about. No, Andy Dalton is the same thing. I, I think the beard really gives, it, it makes him more, it's like more of a rugged look for him. And so I, yep, I think it's sure. I think it's a good move for him. I mean, he's probably still not very good at NFL football, and the Broncos are probably going to have to play Drew Locke at some point. But from a handsomeness perspective, yeah, he's he's certainly okay. upped it a little bit. The beard keeps the secrets. That's the mystery that, of the whole. Only thing. reason I ever have one. Yeah, I got to hide that chin, there you baby. Go. Ray, the, the way to close this one, it's already going much longer, but it's great. You're going to have Pat co- again coming up with running backs and wide receivers. Um, since you just survey the news, like we talked about to bring this full circle, what player has stood out the most of all the positive day after day, maybe even practice by practice buzz that you've seen on Twitter? This is just a loaded question. Just say who you want to say. Just say the name. I have another name, Ray. You have another I have name? another name. All right, so the name... Would you like me to say it? Yeah, go ahead and say your other name that's not Curtis Samuel, even though you really want to say Curtis Samuel. Uh, Samuel Curtis. <laughs> it's just like Samuel, <laughs> comma, Curtis. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's really crazy because like it's every single day. Every single day, someone... In fact, today, Norv Turner talked about how much he loves Curtis Samuel's route running. Every single yeah. day, they're talking about Curtis Samuel in Carolina. It's almost like someone was talking about him in May, you know? It's almost like someone ranked him fifth in their rookie rankings uh, in 2016. There we go. Who, who could that have been? Uh, right. The name I wanted to bring up, though, and I, it's an important one, I think, is Maurice Harris. Yeah. Who apparently has looked as the best wide receiver in Patriots camp. Uh, one, because Julian Edelman's not practicing. And we know Maurice Harris had, like, moments last year for the Redskins in the slot. But, you know, if he's outperforming Nikhil Harry by a, a good margin during the preseason – Bill Belichick and co are just going to play Maurice Harris in their offense and possibly Ray possibly have him as the number two wide receiver during the season, which I think is important despite, you know, the change in this offense, the going to a run heavy, but we could see, you know, him maybe if everything is still going according to plan, have the second most targets on the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, I would kind of doubt it because you, you say you could play him on the outside. That's really not really his profile. And when Edelman sure. comes back, you know, we'll see what happens. But I wouldn't like I'm not going to make definitive statements about who's going to be the number two wide receiver in New England this year. It could be Josh Gordon. Like we don't. Yes, we don't really know. And so I I think that you just have to be open to all possibilities. And it seems like Harris, at least in the early going, is making his case for playing time. And it's not like this comes out of nowhere. I mean, he was interesting when he was in Washington. Whenever he signed with the Patriots, I think several people kind of went, oh, this is interesting. So yeah, so it's not like this comes out of out of nowhere either. So it's certainly a, a story to follow as camp moves on. Ray, thanks a bunch, man. I appreciate you. Uh, again, just after this, and I'll just lead right into it. We've got myself and Pat talking tears, chunks, clusters of players at running back and then following that at wide receiver stick with us pat fewer and fewer workhorse running backs are in the nfl it seems like every single year there's a number of them as we look at the top 10 rankings of the position uh listed here i mean saquon barkley zeke elliott christian mccaffrey alvin Kamara. pat looking at those top four 
Would not surprise me at all if we see one, depending on the draft, as the 101, one as the 104. You can basically make a case for any of those top four to be the first pick in your draft. You can't. All four of them truly have a viable case, but I'm going to go with the hipster option of Christian McCaffrey. Really? Uh, wasn't really. I mean, not a hipster option. Last year, uh, he was the RB1 in some scoring formats. Yeah. and. You know, set the running back receptions record last year, averaged over five yards per carry. Uh, there was some coach speak about, like, you know, dialing back his workload, but you know, that's a standard staple of any offseason running backs. And I thought the Panthers' was actually pretty weak. I thought it was yep. total lip service. And to me, the most exciting part about McCaffrey is that where he has the most room to grow is in the raw carries department. He's still kind of just at his floor, what I feel like for carries. And when you have a running back, who does not come off the field. And, you know, plays for an offensive coordinator, Norv Turner, who has always favored a one-back approach. Yep. Uh, he's always been durable. He's a small guy, but he's always been durable as long as he's been, uh, his, you know, in, like, in the spotlight football playing career. And to me, he's just such an exciting option. He was one of the breakout players of last year. I mean, I was getting him in drafts in the second round. But now to take him at 101, I mean, it's not too much of a stretch. And I totally agree with you. We've talked about this on the podcast before, that there aren't, Every single team can't use two running backs. They just don't know how to use them. The Panthers had a very good backup running back last year in C.J. Anderson and cut him him because they used Chris McCaffrey in 90 95% of the snaps. Some teams just don't know what their identity is going to be offensively without their star running back in the field. And Chris McCaffrey kind of is the identity of the Panthers' offense. He literally sat out 23 snaps before Week 17 last year. And I just... I didn't see any compelling evidence they were going to change that approach this year. Let me make the case for Ezekiel Elliott, our second-ranked running back, because, Pat, we know he's going to get the volume. Speaking of identity, we know he's the identity of the Cowboys. And I know there's a little bit of a contract situation currently, but there is some positive regression, nerd alert, uh, on the rise here for uh, Ezekiel Elliott because you look at his rushing touchdowns. Pat, he only had six last year. He did. He only had six. He had 15 rushing touchdowns his rookie year, seven touchdowns the next season in just 10 games, six rushing touchdowns last season. And I know that he aided that with his receiving totals up to 77 receptions last year. I don't think that receiving viability is going away and that receiving opportunity is going away. I only think it's more positivity moving forward with Zeke because of that rushing touchdown upside. Again, I think Zeke is a perfectly defensible option, number one overall. But if you're going to find the negative case for Elliott, it could be the Cowboys, if they run a smarter offense this year, better play sequencing. Part of Zeke's case... Not part, a huge part of his case, you know, has been the, the raw volume. And if Kellen Moore is calling a more responsible, smarter offense, kind of dialing off, like, the, the incessant first and second down runs could hurt his overall uh, touch total. But, yeah, to me, there's more reasons to be extremely positive about Zeke than negative. And clear top four and very defensible number one. And, and I think, actually, DJ has a – I should say David Johnson has a chance of being in those top four as the season moves along. Pat, let's also look at the next few picks – um, six through ten, we have Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, Joe Mixon, Todd Gurley, and James Conner ranked in that six through ten. Questions. I mean, there are questions right now in the preseason with Melvin Gordon, really with Le'Veon Bell and Adam Gase, with Joe Mixon in terms of how good that offense is, and Todd Gurley with his knee situation. What questions need to be answered with any one of those that would make you feel more comfor- comfortable taking them in the later part of round one, early part of round two? Well, the number one question that could be answered would be uh, Melvin Gordon uh, showing up. Yes. Uh, So that would be good if Melvin Gordon reported to camp. Uh, The rest of them, I mean, Todd Gurley is the one we have the biggest questions on, but they're not going to get answered. He's not going to play in the preseason. Uh, I think we're going to get kind of like dueling media reports. All offseason was, 
oh, you know, the bell cow days are over, the knee is arthritic. Now there's kind of been like the counter narrative, like, oh, this production's not going to fall. That's coming from the team right. and some of the press. So unfortunately, I think most of these situations are going to be kind of wait and see. There's not going to be like any smoking gun ev- evidence, uh, except for, of course, Melvin Gordon, if he actually shows up to the team. Now let's look at 11 through 18. Pat, I think there's a chance that one of these backs ends up as a top five overall running back at the end of the season. But 11, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, Devontae Freeman, Damian Williams, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, and Marlon Mack. Again, these are foundation, upside, potential, whatever word you want to use. Is there one that stands out to you? I mean, Leonard Fournette always stands out just because oh, we know. Gross. Well, again, I, this is not <laughs> a player. Again, not a player I quote unquote believe in. Yeah. But the Jaguars believe in him, and obviously, it's all about yeah. You know, it's all about workload, and if he stays healthy, the workload could be there to have like have like the ultimate contrarian top five season. And uh, it's such an interesting story with Fournette, though. Like Pat, just last November, he was basically taken off the field for yes. a former seventh round pick that the team didn't even draft. Because he wasn't playing well. And I understand, like, this Jaguars team has basically kept the same identity, even if it didn't work last year, and just adding Nick Foles. But if he does get around 300 touches, Leonard Fournette does make a lot of sense, and we have him as, as running back 13. It could happen. Quickly, the guy who I actually am excited about and I think could do it would be Aaron Jones. This okay. has the right combination of talent and role. And, again, everything went right for him this offseason. And uh, yeah, he's the guy who could, in exciting fashion, crack the top Pat, I'll five. throw out Damian Williams just to close out this video. Ooh. Averaged n- over 19 touches for 114 yards and almost two touchdowns in five games as he was the starter after the cream hunt uh, after he got cut and released. With Damian um, Williams, I'm just going to wait for him to get 50 carries once in his life before I, uh, I hear start you, projecting him as a top But there's runner. a reason why we have him so low as running back 15. But, Pat, like – if he is someone that had 200 career carries in a season before this, I mean, this is Andy Reid saying that he wants Damian Williams to be the feature foundation back of the best offense in the NFL. What is there not to love about that? He does that? say that, but I've said, made this point earlier this summer too. Andy Reid's a guy who's had problems committing to like Brian Westbrook in the past, to LaShawn McCoy sure. in the past, to Kareem Hunt. So if he abandons the run with talents like that, uh, I could just see Damian Williams not having as long of a leash. I've been a Damian Williams contrarian all summer. It's getting to the point where it's kind of ridiculous, and uh, I'm being too negative. But uh, he—he's someone I will not be drafting many leagues. I will put it. Th- I'm—I'm in the minority on that. But. Quickly, want to throw in Josh Jacobs, the rookie running back out of Alabama to the Oakland Raiders. We have him as running back 21. Pat, that's another one who's potentially. 200, 250 carries. We don't know about how good the offense is going to be, but that's, that's the volume we care about. Pat, the wide receiver position. It's an important position for fantasy football, and there's a lot of really good names in the top 10 of Ritter World's rankings. As we see DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas in that top three. Pat, those top eight names have all put up huge numbers in the past, but two of them have switched teams this offseason. Does that kind of unknown element of Odell Beckham of Antonio Brown give you any pause in selecting them? Switching teams often does, but in these two individual cases, no. The Raiders are going to force the issue with Antonio Brown. Yeah. They, want, they want to prove this is a smart trade. And Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield, it's just a match made in heaven. I mean, look at, like, Odell Beckham could ca- catch, like, a five-yard slant from Eli Manning and make it a 90-yard touchdown. Imagine, he did it multiple times. Yeah, imagine what he could do <laughs> actually catching passes in stride down the field right. from Baker Mayfield, who was an amazing deep passer last year with guys like Brashad Perriman. So imagine what they can do together. So I'm all in on Odell Beckham, Odell Beckham as usual. Yeah, and I, it's a great point because I actually think Odell has improved his situation 
quite a bit. Markedly. Markedly. <laughs> um, and the one that conversely is in a bad situation now is probably Jarvis Landry because they were using him so much as a vertical receiver. I, I do have a lot of pause with Antonio Brown. I mean, a lot of pause because it's the, it's the Oakland Raiders. It's Derek Carr. It's John Gruden. Like, we, we don't know anything about if this offense can support a true wide receiver one because they certainly did not do it last year with Amari Cooper. The one thing we do know they can do is have high percentage targets. Last year, Derek Carr was upper 60s in completion percentage. Uh, efficiency is always uh, John Gruden's calling card as offensive coordinator. Now, not like uh, actual yards. That's yeah. not really his thing. But Antonio Brown, I think the targets are going to be out of control, almost Pittsburgh level. And his upside is probably lower uh, than it was in Pittsburgh, of course. But I think the floor, which is always one of the highest in fancy football, is going to remain very, very high. I I do want to say this about Antonio Brown. Like, I I don't think Ben Roethlisberger has been playing that well for the last two seasons, especially on the road. But the biggest difference to me in the two styles is that when – the structure of the play breaks down. Ben Roethlisberger wants to look vertically, and so much of Antonio Brown's production comes from those vertical shots, those broken plays. Derek Carr, we know that last year's receivers and re- uh, leaders in receptions for the Raiders were Jalen Richard, a running back, and Jared Cook yes. at tight end. Both 68 catches. Yes, and those are mostly near the line of scrimmage. I just don't know if the broken style and really where he's a major threat to offenses and defenses and Antonio Brown, if that's going to pick up with the Oakland Raiders. It won't, but I think he'll pick up the slack with those high efficiency, kind of low upside targets, which I think will will keep him near the top in fantasy. Pat, I want to focus in on wide receiver 19 in this next group of wide receiver rankings we have, 11 through 20. There at all the way at 19 (laughs) is Kenny Galladay of the Detroit Lions. Pat, I can't get on board with this one. I know I'm just one, you know, small voice in the behemoth that is Roto-World. But why do we have Kenny Galladay as wide receiver 19? It's a little high. I'll admit that. It's a lot high. It's people betting on a special talent. Uh, He was the wide receiver 20 in PPR last year, and Danny Amendola is a downgrade on Golden Tate. Uh, People kind of think maybe Amendola is going to cut into his targets, cut into his receptions, but Kenny Galladay was actually best last year when Golden Tate was in the Lions offense, and it was a more functional offense. And maybe if they're three deep at receiver again, it uh, decreases the pressure on Kenny Galladay, and it is high, but again, this is sometimes you have to bet on talent, and we know Kenny Galladay is a massive talent. And to me, the wide receiver 19, like 23 area, that's an appropriate hedge, even on a, a player in a bad situation, just on a player that we know is so physically gifted. It's interesting, though, because I'm acting like this is a high ranking. It's not. He's currently being drafted as wide receiver 18. So a lot of people like Kenny Galladay. And for Pat, every single year, I think we go into seasons just wanting to avoid certain situations. I'm basically doing that with the Lions as a whole. Like, I like Karrion Johnson, don't like where he's going. I, I like Kenny Galladay, I don't like where he's going. In fact, last year in the games, five or six games he played with Marvin Jones, they basically tied an average number of targets per game. I'm really nervous that Marvin Jones is going to be the one who leads this team in targets once the season is over. Yeah, it was a frustrating, inexplicable situation after Golden Tate left. We thought the targets would rock it up, and they did not. And Matt Patricia is a crazy person. So <laughs> I, if you're going to fade an offense, the Lions are certainly a good choice. It's, it's never in 2019 to go into the season being like, yes, we just want to run the football and play good defense all the time. And that's what the Lions are. And, like, they're turning Matthew Stafford, who's this big-arm quarterback, into someone who just wants to have easy completions all the time. This is going to be a brilliant ruse, all a ruse. Uh, I, we have Chris Godwin of the Bucks as wide receiver 20. Pat, I think he belongs way above Kenny Galladay and even multiple receivers on top of him. But let's look at a lot of these receivers, you know, ha- are supported by passing games that can support two wide receivers. Uh, speaking of... 
Chris Godwin at 20. We also have Mike Evans at wide receiver 9. Speaking of Adam Thielen at wide receiver 13, we have Stephon Diggs as wide receiver 15. Is there another receiver that you think could emerge as a top two wide receiver tandem, which really means that a passing game really breaks, is a breakthrough offense, and that's always something we want to target in preseason drafts. You just want me to say Curtis Samuel, don't Maybe. you? I uh, might. I'm not going to say Curtis Samuel. There was no one really that super stuck out to me here. Um, a very untrendy answer would be maybe Mike Williams. If his yeah. role last year was kind of his new normal, uh, we have no idea if that'll be his new normal and you know not the most explosive. Uh, maybe Will Fuller, if he could ever stay healthy and stay on the field. Uh, we know he's got like, kind of like a preternatural connection uh, with Deshaun Watson and you know, been an elite touchdown scorer, even though it's really wasn't supposed to be his game. Uh, so he's a guy I could see making the leap, but there weren't. I didn't see any like clear cut. And there uh, are others too. I mean. The Rams have three receivers within the, what, top 23. And yeah, Brandon are. Cooks at wide receiver 16. Robert Woods is wide receiver 18. Cooper Cup as wide receiver 23. And we didn't even mention Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd's there at wide receiver 28. Talk about breakthrough seasons. Last year was fantastic. And, Pat, I don't know if it's this easy, but in the Bengals' offense, he has a real chance to play that Cooper Cup role, which is in the slot. And that just equals production in that style of an offense. He does. The only thing I would maybe be fading the Bengals' offense, I just do not know what to expect from Zach Taylor. I know what we're supposed to expect, yeah. but I was not a big fan of Zach Taylor's approach to the offseason and uh, the staff he hired. And you know, Tyler Boyd is probably a pretty clear regression candidate. When you hmm. throw that in with a new offense, to me, despite, like you said, if he's, if he's going to actually run the Rams' offense, then Tyler Boyd right. could probably match or even surpass last year. I just don't, don't know what to expect On from a Zach positive Taylor. note, he actually had better numbers when A.J. Green was actually in the ballgame, yes. was on the field. So I, I do think that if play calling is good, if offensive line is good enough, which is a major question. Major, major question. There, there's an opportunity for them to support two wide receivers as well. Pat, thanks so much. And all of you, thanks so much for watching. And for more rankings, projections, strategy, and advice on how to dominate your draft, be sure to go to rotorworld.com slash draft guide for our mobile optimized draft guide. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.